Good Sunday to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. It's great to be back on the air, and hard to believe in three days from, from now it'll be St. Patty's Day. So uh, I know many of you, um, whether you have true Irish lineage in you or just like to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, uh, make sure to wear your green, as it will definitely come in hand. So um, why am I back on the air? Well, I, for one, I, I think it would be obvious because uh, I enjoy uh, sharing um, my knowledge of history with you all, my uh, fellow uh, one-on-one listeners. And I'm sure by now most of you have probably moved beyond 101 status but at the same time, when we uh, start a new series on um, a historical topic, we do have to return to 101 status. But that doesn't mean it's a permanent uh, fixture. It's a temporary, but it's always a good start in the right direction. So, my time machine, or let alone our time machine that we're going to take, is one that's not going to revolve around a particular year in the next book series I'm, I'm going to be discussing. It's going to actually be one, um, a topic rather, that involves something that's been around for a little over 300 years. Not just in the United States, but in other uh, places uh, around the world. How about um, when I think of something that's been around for between 300 and somewhere almost uh, 400 years, but really over 300 years in America... I think of an I think of a particular object that has um, helped uh, ships, not just ships, but ships of any size. It's helped uh, people. This object has uh, saved countless people's lives. How about the word lighthouse? How about a book uh, that I read a few years back? The title being uh, Brilliant Beacons, A History of the American Lighthouse by Eric J. Dolan. After uh, looking through this book, I came to the realization that, hey, I can do this one. I'm sure most of you are thinking to yourselves, you know, Kirk, you know, yes, you do like talking about the American Revolution, but have you ever thought about expanding? Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, we um, not long ago discussed... Um, a transportation um, matter that was of a unique historical significance being about the Erie Canal and the making of a great nation. And then we talked about um, a book uh, regarding the Edmund Fitzgerald uh, a couple of months back. So we have discussed some stuff involving uh, transportation, but here we are uh, discussing um, about lighthouses that do impact uh, ships, you know, coming and going because their presence alone, um, while it may not prevent a shipwreck 100%, but the presence of lighthouses alone have helped save countless um, crewmen's lives. So, here we are now having to ask ourselves some other uh, questions, or let alone an introduction part to Brilliant Beacons, A History of the American Lighthouse. What do we as individuals think of right away when viewing the seawaters up close? Well, whether we're at the beach or, or say, around the premises of a lighthouse that is um, either on the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean in America, more often than not, we're always led to believe or we have a preconceived notion that the water itself is always calm 
And while the waves can be choppy at times, we're still led to believe that despite all the calmness and and the, what do you call it, uh, crooked jaggedness of waves, that whatever we see from above is an automatic guarantee in ensuring that a vessel's smooth sailing is one that will be uninterrupted by anything unforeseen. Well, that's wishful thinking right there, folks. We all like to, we all want to believe that what we see from above is safe and that whatever is below doesn't come anywhere um, in close proximity to endangering not just a recreational boat, but that of um, boats who are designed for uh, business-related purposes. On the other hand, though, or let alone I should say the flip side to it, what lies below the water's surface is something that remains unpredictable. And what I mean by unpredictable is that it's something we don't have control over. So when I think of unpredictability in terms of what, lie, what, what lies below the water's surface, how about uneven reefs, reefs rather, to hidden sandbars that can play havoc on vessels making their way into coastal waterways, which will either make or break a crew's safety. More often than not, the greatest dangers the sea or let alone ocean present to ships and vessels of all sizes not just for uh, commercial bus and business purposes, but how about even for recreational means. But the greatest dangers that the ocean presents to all ships and vessels revolves around what lies beneath. But how close the unknown itself is within proximity to shore. So you may just be a couple of miles away from shore, but that doesn't mean that it's a smooth sailing in. If you steer too close to the shore, you never know. You could be hitting a rock beneath. You could be hitting um, something uneven to where the ship itself could fracture so badly below to where goods that you are bringing in from another part of the world could be uh, lost. And then maybe your ship itself is no longer salvageable. So just because you're, again, just because you're a few miles from uh, port, it doesn't mean that you, it doesn't mean that it's a, a smooth um, arrival. And I can back this up by a good example based off of what Mr. Eric Dolan, the author of Brilliant Beacons, discussed. And I should discuss it with you all because it will help provide essential backup to why lighthouses have been so essential for so many years. All right, for starters, who is uh, Mr. William Osgood? Now, I, I can tell you this much. He's not up, he may not be up there with, you know, fame, famous uh, people like George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. But I can tell you this much. Uh, Captain William Osgood had a very... Um, I don't know how long his record was out on the waters, but he uh, had a career out on the ocean. In other words, he worked his way up the ladder in the maritime industry. But he commanded a ship, or what we call a three-masted ship, known as the Union, whose home port was Salem, Massachusetts, 
Salem is uh, north of Boston, not far from Marblehead. Of course, when I think of Salem, Massachusetts, I always think of the um, infamous 1692 Salem witchcraft trials. But the crew was on its final leg in the morning hours of February 24, 1817, returning to Massachusetts from Sumatra. And in case any of you don't know where Sumatra is, for one, it's um, overseas in the Far East, not far from um, Indonesia. As a matter of fact, Sumatra, from back in 2004, um, was a part of that um, horrific tsunami that did so much damage to Indonesia and other um, Far Eastern uh, countries. So this uh, ship is coming um, home from Sumatra with cargo containing thousands of pounds of commodities ranging from pepper to tin. Captain um, Osgood spotted the twin tower beams from Thacker Island Lighthouse. Okay, he spotted the, uh, the uh, twin tower beams, so that does give him an um, understanding or good sense of direction, knowing, okay, I've got twin tower beams not far ahead, so let's steer our ship in a southwesterly direction. So in other words, folks, you, got, you know, it's one thing to be the captain of the ship, but you've also got to know, okay, what direction do I steer my ship? It's not like driving a car where you just turn your blink, what do you call it, your blinkers on to get over one lane to the other, or you're just driving straight. You know, when you're commanding a ship, you know, you, it's all about in, in this day and time, or rather in the day of the 19th century, you know, you don't have a, um, you don't have keys to your ship. You're relying on the winds to guide you in the direction you need to go. So here they are going in a southwesterly direction, but within a, a two-hour time span, the lighthouse beams become, become very dim. In other words, they don't become as visible as they were a short while ago or as they had been earlier due to a blinding snowstorm that just came out of nowhere. And that's a scary part, too, in, in that day and time, was that, you know, we have to remember, while, yes, there is a United States Coast Guard, we don't have the sophisticated technology like there is today. So, in other words, we're, we're not able to get um, breaker service on our, um, on our CB. We don't have CBs at this time. We don't have telephones. We don't have what's called a National Weather Service by this point in time. That's not going to come till. Uh, the end of the 19th late 19th century. But the ship, uh, the Union, by going southwest, while Osgood, Captain Osgood's crew did spot the lighthouse, they, they spotted another one going southwest, and that was um, on Baker's Island near Salem's Port. However, what the crew didn't know was, was that given the fact that they had been gone for a while, and we're not talking five or six months, this crew had been gone for a couple of years. So a year earlier in 1816, the Baker's Island Lighthouse went from two lights down to one. And when the crew saw this, it led to widespread panic and mass confusion. Well, there again, folks, it's not like they, you know, we don't have a telephone. 
So we don't, we're not able to call up and say, hey, uh, Captain Osgood, I just want to make you aware that uh, Baker's Island's uh, lighthouse has just changed, has changed not long ago from two uh, beams down to one light so that when you do come in, you'll know what's in front of you or, or ahead of you in the not so far distant distance. Uh, well, I hate to tell you this, the, um, the panic and confusion set in to where the commands, not only by Captain Osgood, but by the, but commands from below, that is the men in charge of uh, steering the boat, they were not on the same page. So here we go with the commanders steering the ship, saying one set of directions, Captain Osgood the other. It doesn't bode well in the end. How so? Well, the Union ends up wrecking on the northwest corner of Baker's Island. No deaths, thank heavens. But the, but the ship itself was a goner. In other words, it was no longer salvageable. Well, if you were to ask me who should be held at fault for this, well, of course, we have to remember, too, that communication isn't as sophisticated back then, maybe like it was, like it is today. But at the same time, I guess if, if I had to say anybody was at fault, um, maybe it was from people above. But at the same time, the change in reducing uh, the number of lights at Baker's Island Lighthouse wasn't something that probably just, it probably was not something that had been in the works for a long time. It was probably just one of those things that came at the spur of the moment. And if you saw the change in enough time, you made the necessary adjustments. If you didn't, then I guess it's safe to say that you that you were risking it all and that there was a 50% chance you either made it into port safely or a 50% chance you didn't. So it really was hidden. Um, it was hit and miss at your own risk. And while yes, it's a blessing that nobody died. The uh, the value of the ship alone, the Union, was between forty and fifty thousand. I want to say about forty five thousand. So that was a lot of money back in eighteen seventeen to insure your ship for. But the sad part is the ship's a, a goner. So. We have to ask ourselves this question. What did the Union shipwreck disaster point out about lighthouses? Well, I know for one that lighthouses serve um, a variety of essential... Um, they serve um, mankind um, for a variety of, of essential reasons, but one primary purpose has to do with the fact that a lighthouse... Its presence helps ensure that vessels and their crews arrive safely to final destination. Despite the Union's wreck on February 24th of 1817, lighthouses alone have saved many of ships from wrecking to ensuring survival of countless lives to helping America become a global economic power. And all of this has been achieved during a course that stretches just over 300 years, but at some point down the road, we could say that it would be close to nearly 400 years. So there you have it, folks, um, that lighthouses, yes, have saved, have, have served mankind a great amount of good. I mean, more often than not, we like to think of them as just unique tourist attractions where we can go up to the top and look, look out from the distance, and while all that's great, Lighthouses have done so much more than 
just be a, a tourist, um, what do you call it, a tourist mechanism. Since Brilliant Beacons is a book dedicated to the history behind American lighthouses, what exactly does author Eric J. Dolan focus on? Well, for starters, it's more than one element, or let alone more than one topic. For you all, my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners, we're going to be learning, we're going to learn a great deal of elements. I'll give you a few, for example, to mention. For starters, we're going to learn how many of our 13 colonies built their first lighthouses on the eastern seaboard, which opened up the doors for commerce purposes. And then we're going to learn how Congress, in its early years of existence, when George Washington was our nation's first commander-in-chief, Congress as an institution was asked a fundamental question, whether they as an institution would go about funding lighthouse construction, or if it was not to be a federal matter, would it be um, one that the states themselves would, um, would take up? So in other words, Congress would be asked whether or not lighthouse construction would be a federal or state-funded matter, which we will learn. And then we will learn about how there will become a period of time where our government is not up to date on new technologies. I'm sure you're wondering why is our government not up to date on this? Well, a lot of it will be a lot of it can perhaps be attributed to uh, bureaucratic red tape, uh, perhaps uh, officials who whose intentions may mean well, but whose intentions don't revolve around us, we ourselves. Perhaps their intentions are rather an I, me, myself attitude. We will also learn about um, how lighthouses, America's lighthouses, were um, impacted from a military standpoint in times of war, most notably the American Revolution as well as the U.S. Civil War. The Amer America's Civil War, rather. We will also focus on how lighthouses played a role in times of natural disasters, as well as to families whom lived in them. And we're not just talking random families. We're talking about families whose careers revolved around working in lighthouses. In other words, they, just, they did more than just turn the lights on and off. We'll learn about the sacrifices that many of these families made in ensuring that um, people's lives were saved, that is, everyday, ordinary, average Joe people, to men whose lives were endangered as a result of their um, ships uh, wrecking due to going too close ashore. Mr. Dolan's uh, book, Brilliant Beacons, will also focus on lighthouses from a lighting perspective. In other words, folks, you know, in, in today's time when we see lighthouses, we see them with modern um, means of uh, technology or lighting um, methods that have been around for some time. But we must keep in mind that um, the first lighthouses, their uh, methods of illumination were far different from today's. In other words, mankind early on resorted 
to using whale, lard, and vegetable oils for lighting lighthouses to kerosene, and most notably, halfway through the 19th century, when America finally got its act together in getting up there on the same level as uh, Europeans were with lighting their lighthouses, how about something known as Fresnel lenses? To me, though, those lights were the granddaddy of all lights. How so? Just the way those lights were presented. They, they were lights that had um, never been seen before, but they were lights that were so revolutionary to where lighthouses from all lighthouses, whether it was from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean in America, these lighthouses were true beneficiaries of the Fresnel lenses. And we will learn about the man who was behind them being none other than Mr. Jean-Augustin Fresnel, for whom Fresnel lenses are named after. What became the driving force behind America's lighthouses? For one, her people, but rather people from generations before and after. This consists of our founding fathers, after all, folks, you know, our founding fathers did more than just write um, essential documents like the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. They, too, um, were engaged in a host of um, matters that um, depended upon our nation's uh, survival, um, and one of them being lighthouses. Engineers, after all, you know, somebody's got to design the lighthouses. Mariners. Soldiers to male and female keepers, which included extra assistance from their families in ensuring the lights remained shining permanently. So it is fair to say, folks, that lighthouses have impacted people from all walks of life. They don't concentrate just on the tourists. I think it is fair to say that um, to end the introduction here to Brilliant Beacons, A History of the American Lighthouse, I do believe it's fair to say that America's lighthouses have experienced their share of highs and lows from a governmental functioning standpoint, but America's lighthouses have also found sanctuary from greater public, from the greater public. This ranges from nonprofit organizations to government agencies to private individuals, all of whom have come forward and have made so much sacrifice in ensuring that lighthouses for future generations are there for the greater public to enjoy. So it is fair to say that uh, non nonprofit organizations, governmental agencies to private individuals have all come together to raise not just money, but to educate the greater public in preserving lighthouses that otherwise would have demolished over uh, time. After all, folks, you know, lighthouses themselves just don't sit around forever. Lighthouses have been, you know, victims of neglect. Lighthouses have stood the test of time all in the name of being abandoned because the services that the people gave them were no longer needed, and that we're going to talk about. But one thing to keep in mind, folks, is that lighthouses have been around longer than we think. And when I'm on the air again with you all next in our first chapter of Brilliant Beacons, we're going to learn about um, colonial America. After all, colonial America 
had that name even into the American Revolutionary War. But we're going to learn about how all 13 colonies, maybe not all 13, but a good handful of the 13 colonies, uh, were the first to um, construct lighthouses or let alone construct something that resembled a lighthouse that would um, ensure people's safety, not just um, for, from a recreational standpoint, but from uh, commercial standpoints. But we're going to realize that, hey, lighthouses have been around longer than we think. But the best way to learn about how lighthouses have been around longer would be to learn how many of our um, people living in the 13 colonies came together to ensure other people's safety traveling, not just from a north and south direction, but people's safety coming from overseas to uh, most notably that of England, because after all, you know, England at one time was the only country that we were really allowed to do any kind of trade with. But then again, the 13 colonies are England's subjects. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope that uh, this introduction to our next uh, book that we will be discussing, Brilliant Beacons, A History of the American Lighthouse, has been a good one. And I know for a fact that our time machine is going to take us um, from, a, from many of uh, centuries, uh, starting in the 17th century. We will also go into the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. So let's fasten our seatbelts. And enjoy this ride because it is going to be one that will um, last a lifetime of uh, good memories. Not just memories from what you have learned, but what you can share with those whom would like to know more about lighthouses. So once again, I look forward to being on the air again next and looking forward to discussing life in colonial America with how lighthouses got originated. Take care and stay safe.